Okay, uh, we are in a teaching series on the book of Daniel. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to start this morning in Daniel chapter 2. So I want to invite you to open up if you want to follow in your Bibles. We're going to be in Daniel 2, starting in verse 26. The book of Daniel is about two way, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It's after Ezekiel, and it's before Hosea. And last week, just to kind of know what, where we're picking up in the, in the narrative, last week we heard about, so the book of Daniel, it's about this time when Daniel and these other, um, these other people of God had been taken into exile. They're living in this, away from their homeland in Babylon, in this kind of imperial situation. And Daniel and his friends had made their way up and were serving as court advisors under King Nebuchadnezzar, the head of the Babylonian Empire. And they, they were, they were kind of part of this group of wise men or magi that served King Nebuchadnezzar. And last week we heard about how King Nebuchadnezzar had been having nightmares. And he had been having these nightmares. And so he turned, he went to his wise men, these court advisors, and he said, I want you to interpret my, these bad dreams I'm having. But not only that, maybe he was a little suspicious of them or something. But what he said was, you, I'm not going to tell you my dream. You have to tell me my dream. And then tell me what it meant. And if you don't, I'm going to execute you. Which, that seems like a little bit of an unstable reaction. But, so this is, this is what he says. And so Daniel's part of this group. They're, Daniel and his friends are going to be executed. And uh, so they're like, our lives are... So they pray, they pray to God. And, and we heard last week about how God revealed this dream to them. And Daniel comes and he tells the king the dream. So today, what we're going to look at, we're going to look at the content of the dream. The whole dream was written down, the interpretation. We're going to look at the dream because it speaks about, it speaks about the future things to come. Uh, and, and, and I want to look at the dream, the content, and ask some questions about it. So that's what we're going to do today. And I'm going to start, we're just going to read through it and then we'll talk about it. So we're going to start in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mystery showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me. This mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. 
But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. And in your hands he has placed all mankind and all the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. And just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay, partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will also have some strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw that the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. And its interpretation is trustworthy. Okay. So, this morning, I'd like to ask three questions as we we look at this dream and its interpretation. And the three questions uh, are as follows. Uh, First of all, what did this mean to King Nebuchadnezzar? So, he was the the person who had the dream in the first place. What, What did it mean to him? Secondly, what did this dream mean to the Jewish exiles, Daniel and his friends? I mean, this dream was written down, recorded in the book of Daniel, was passed on. Written, give, the first readers of the book were these, these Jews who lived in exilic situations. Why? What did it say to them? And then thirdly, us here today, 2,500 years later, what does this dream say to us 2,500 years later in our situation today? What did it say to Nebuchadnezzar? What does it say to exiles? What does it say us. Those are the three questions. So to begin with, what did this dream mean to King Nebuchadnezzar? So he has this dream. He's King Nebuchadnezzar. He has this dream of the statue. And uh, I just want to kind of a couple images to get our, our mind in gear here. Here's a picture of the statue. One church that decided to do their exterior decorating with this dream statue. So uh, we're talking about maybe getting, you know, 55 outside Hillcrest. We can do that. Good idea. Yeah, maybe not. Okay. Um, so Here's an artist's rendition of this statue. And the basic idea is this. That Nebuchadnezzar has this, this statue, and it's a top-heavy statue. Gold, silver at the top, but then as you get your way to the bottom, it's this kind of clay mixture. It's top-heavy with a weak foundation. 
ready to topple over. That's the sense of the statue. And so to kind of get this, get, get this in our minds, this top-heavy statue, I, uh, I'd like a couple volunteers. One person uh, over six feet tall who's willing to come up here. Oh, here comes somebody. Thank you. And then, and then someone, uh, somebody who is more in the five-footish range, maybe. Uh, yeah, I know we're here. So someone, someone who's willing to help us out. Oh, is somebody coming? Somebody stand up, coming? Oh, Mark, here we go. Oh, no, there we go. All right, here we go. So you got, all right, you guys come over, come here, stand in front. All right, so tell everybody your name. Hello, I'm Will. Will and? Kumbo. Kumbo. All right, thank you guys. Yeah, uh, so we're going to have a little, um, we're going to have a little contest here. Um, Will, have you ever been pushed over by someone um, Kumbo size before? Yeah, you don't have to answer that. Okay, um, so this is what we're gonna do. I want you to stand like this, keep your arms out, and Kumbo is gonna give you one big push, and you're gonna try and stay upright there. All right. So uh, just whenever you're ready, give him. So you, not a running start. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Are you gonna turn and face him? Whatever you're. Yeah. All right. What, what are you gonna grab the music stand? No, I don't want to pull back. Oh, don't. Yeah, just get, 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 give him a push. One, two, three. Give him a shove. Okay, okay, good job. Kept on his feet. Kept nice job. Okay, okay. Now we're gonna do turn sideways here. We're gonna try this. Um, uh, Will, can you cross your arms? And uh, can you stand on one foot? And can you close your eyes? All right, uh, Kumbo, whenever you're ready, just, um, yeah, just, uh, you give him a little push there. Keep those, oh, no, whoa, there you go, yeah. <laughs> Good regard. Give him a hand, everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, yeah, thank you, thank you. They're friends, they love, love each other. So, um, I, at least before they came up here. Um, so, but here's the thing. When, when uh, things with weak foundations fall over, Nebuchadnezzar has this, this dream of this statue with this top-heavy, this weak foundation, and it means it's ready to fall over. Nebuchadnezzar, it's this nightmare that he has, and um, it's a scary dream. When I think about scary dreams I have, I don't dream about statues falling over. I tend to have dream when I have scary dreams, I have dreams of being chased. Those are my scary dreams, things chasing me. The things change over the years, but, you know, something is chasing me. Those are my scary dreams. Um, what, I mean, my guess is you have some kind of, like, your go-to scary dream. Like, it's falling, or it's going to the dentist, or it's, like, trapped in a room with tons of little children, or whatever your scary dreams are. But um, we, all, we have these things. But for Nebuchadnezzar, his scary dreams are things getting toppled over, getting knocked down, things with weak foundations getting... Hit, fallen to the ground. Those are his scary dreams. But for Nebuchadnezzar, this is a God-given nightmare. It's a God-given scary dream to speak certain hard but good news to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the hard but good news is this, that King Nebuchadnezzar had lived in this mindset where he was the ultimate thing. Like he was at the center of the world and his, the kingdom he was building was the most important thing in the universe. And the good news of this nightmare is that that is not true. Daniel says to him, he says, your kingdom, you only have it because God gave it to you. He says, your kingdom, it will pass away 
just like all the other kingdoms. And all these human kingdoms, they're ultimately built on weak foundations. When, when, when you, you build a human kingdom just on yourself, it's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a weak foundation. It'll fall away like all the others. The good news of this dream for Nebuchadnezzar is that there is one kingdom that has a solid foundation. The kingdom of God has a rock-solid foundation and nothing, nothing, nothing will stop the coming kingdom of God. So I just want to pause and, and give us a second to reflect. Where might you have a tendency to fall into this Nebuchadnezzar kind of mindset? Where are there places in your life where you're, you're in charge of things, you're building things, you're responsible for things, you're doing things, you're trying to achieve these things, and you just, you, you see it as you, it's the most important thing in the world, and you are at the center of it, and you have to hold it together, you have to keep it upright. Maybe you have this sense of pride about it, even arrogance. Or maybe like King Nebuchadnezzar, it comes out as anxiety. This anxiousness of if I don't do this, if I don't hold it together, if I don't keep it, the whole thing's going to fall over if I don't. And it's because that you, you believe it all revolves around you and this thing that you're building and you are responsible for holding together. Maybe today you might hear the good news that us and the kingdoms we build, they are not at the center of reality. And if we build them on ourselves, they are always going to have brittle foundations. There is one kingdom that has a rock solid foundation is the kingdom of God and that is the only foundation worth building on and nothing 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 will stop the arrival of God's kingdom so the first the first big question what does this say to Nebuchadnezzar it's the hard but good news that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom isn't the center of reality as a weak foundation there's one kingdom that is rock solid that's the first the second question I want to look at this morning is what did this dream say to those Jewish exiles Daniel and friends Daniel and friends like a band name or something Daniel and friends so this, this book was, this vision was written down, it said something to Daniel, and it was recorded for the people of God in this exilic situation. It was done for a reason. It spoke to them. Why? I want to talk a little about um, how people in the ancient Near East thought of history. So uh, Daniel and friends, this, these Jewish exiles, they were in this larger society, the ancient Near East, that saw history a certain way. And in the ancient Near East, generally, history was seen as a cycle, a circle that gets repeated over and over again. Today, we often think of history going somewhere. But in, in the ancient Near East, it was just a, an endless repetition, kind of this chaotic circle, everything that comes around will come back around again. We're not going, it's this kind of hamster wheel of chaos that everyone is stuck on. That was how history was thought of. And these exiles, if they, if they, they you know, they're, they're, they're in this situation, they could have bought into the way the larger society around them viewed history. But God spoke to them through this dream and said, no, history is going somewhere. God says history is headed towards the kingdom of God. God shows them how the movie ends ahead of time. And it gives them a hope to build their lives on. We could call this, this vision is a theology of history for the exiles. And I wanted, but I want to take a minute, I want to distinguish between a theology of history, how history will end, where it's headed, and an order of events. Because I don't believe they're given an order of events. 
So just to talk about this, uh, I want to talk about numbers uh, for a moment. So in the, he, in the Hebrew scriptures, all the, uh, oftentimes in the Bible, um, numbers have a symbolic value. So in our kind of our modern day and age, like when we think about numbers, we think about them very concretely, mathematically, like we live in the age of accounting, right? But, but, the, but the Bible is saturated in a view where numbers have symbolic value. So have you, like the number seven, have you ever heard about what seven means? It's the number of completeness, fullness, right? Symbolic, it has a symbolic value. Number, the number four was also a symbolic number. It had this symbolic meaning. And in fact, in scripture, oftentimes we see this pattern. Like in the Daniel 2, we saw this vision. There were three kingdoms and then finally a fourth. The same pattern, three and then a fourth, shows up multiple other times in Scripture. So, for example, Proverbs 30. There's all these wise sayings. I think we have one of them. Proverbs 30, and it talks about there's three and then four things. And so one of the writers says, there are three things that are too amazing for me. Four, I do not understand. He's talking about the things in this world that are a mystery to them. And the the point isn't there are just literally four things I don't understand. The point is there are three, even four, kind of from beginning to end, all these things I don't understand. Again, in Amos 1, we get a similar three and then four pattern. God's talking about, in Amos 1, God's talking about these uh, these nations that are practicing practicing injustice. And he's speaking, he's he's saying, these are the ways you're practicing injustice. And so we see the same pattern. For three sins of Tyre, even four, I will not relent. And the point isn't that Tyre is exactly doing four things. The point is three and then even a fourth, kind of all the different ways you're practicing injustice. I condemn you. And so in Daniel 2, we see the same pattern. Daniel says there are three kingdoms and then even a fourth that will come before the arrival of the kingdom of God. And the point isn't the mathematical four. The point isn't to give an order of history. The point is a theology of history. The point is that the end of the story is assured Nothing will stop the arrival of the kingdom of God. So I need a couple other volunteers. I want to do, uh, help us picture this. So uh, if two people could come up, you could be any height. Um, I'm going to put this over here. And I know there's two people in the room. This is my magician's cape. All right, one, two. Thanks, guys. Okay, so we're going to have a little contest here. Um, could uh, one of you stand here? Uh, you guys are matching. That's fantastic. One of you stand over here. Yeah. All right, so tell everybody your name. Mark. Mark, thank you. And? Griffin. Griffin. Okay, um, so we're, I'm going to each give you an object, and you're going to try and you're gonna try and break the other person's object. Okay? Okay. But, you're not, but we'll, I'll show you how to do it. So, um... Uh, Griffin, I'm going to give you this. Oh, okay. terrible. Yeah, no, that's what you get. And then, Mark, I got something in here for you. Uh, let's see here. Uh, 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 there you go. Yes. You hold that. So, um, okay. so we're going to, you, Mark, you put your, your uh, object down there, uh, just there in the middle. And then um, you're going to get to go first to see if you can break that. So why don't you just kind of drop your drop your object and over that. You might want to cover your eyes. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Oh, yep, that one um, was a good attempt. So, uh, so, yeah, you get a turn. So the score is 1-0. 
And um, <laughs> there, you, want, you want to just set that on the ground there? Here, we'll flip it. Maybe it'll be a little. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so you just kind of drop it on that again. And um, Oh, yep. There you go. So, um, Bill winning. So Mark wins, two to zero. Uh, nice job. Yeah, you guys want to shake and give him a hand. Nice Tell him thank you. Yeah. 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 Bring my rock back here. Okay. There we go. And yeah, parents may not want to let your kids. Did I just knock something over? Play up here after service today. So okay, great. Where was I? The outcome is guaranteed. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. The outcome is guaranteed. That that uh, today in today in in our world, kind of the the we don't live in the ancient Near East with that that kind of milieu of history, but we live in a time where for a long time in the modern West. There's this optimistic sense of progress. Like for a long time in, the, in the, the cultural waters we swam, people said history is going somewhere. It's going up. We're progressing. And for a lot of ways, what, what had happened was in the modern West, the, the worldview of Christianity, this hope in the coming kingdom of God, that the, the theological, the God part of that had been taken out. Oh, sorry. It's chaos. <laughs> The God part of that had been taken out, and um, and what had been what remained was just this kind of this this sense of optimism. Like we just kind of we think things will get better. In fact, that kind of got mixed in with uh, with the way technology was able to control the environment around us. And so there's a sense that things will just keep getting better. But over the last hundred years or so, this has been eroded in a lot of ways. And so the wars of the 20th century, the environmental destruction of our current present moment, in a lot of ways, now that sense of things are going to just keep getting better is getting eroded away. And now a lot of people are like, are things going to keep getting better? And we live in this interesting tension. Where should our hope from the future come from? There's, there's this question around that. And, and into this, we, we, we see this theology of history that the kingdom of God is coming and nothing will stop its arrival. And the point isn't, the point isn't that the kingdom of God is somehow like against human kingdoms just de facto. It doesn't like things people build. That's not the point. the point. The point is that these Jewish exiles had this experience of living under violent, self-centered empires, violent, self-centered kingdoms. And when people build kingdoms apart from God, they're inevitably kingdoms that end up being dysfunctional and manipulative and hurtful to God and his world. Whether it's, whether it's like these political empires that the, the Daniel and his friends lived under, or whether it's the modern empires of greed and lust that we see today, or whether it's just like the, the petty little tyrannical empires of a, of a manipulative boss or a, a bully at school, when people build kingdoms centered on themselves, they're always kingdoms that hurt others, that practice injustice. And the kingdom of God, God's kingdom of justice and mercy, will push those kingdoms out. And so, my question for us to reflect on is, where does our hope for the future reside? Maybe you're here today, 
And maybe you've come in here and you wouldn't call yourself a believer in God, somebody who trusts in Jesus. Where does your hope for the future reside? What reason do you have to think that things will get better? The vision of Daniel says uh, the kingdom of God will arrive and nothing, nothing, nothing can stop God's kingdom of justice and mercy from coming. So, We've seen, we've asked the question, what does it say to Nebuchadnezzar, that hard but good news that he's not at the center? We've seen, what does it say to the exiles, that the kingdom of God is coming, that nothing will stop it? And I just want to take a moment, what does it say to us today? What does this say to us 2,500 years later? I believe that uh, what we see here on the other side of the arrival of Jesus is that this rock is not a what but it's a who. Jesus, he's talking to these religious leaders. And Jesus, of course, was in a people who were saturated in these scriptures. Everyone knew these texts and these stories. And he says, Jesus says about himself, he says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus takes the stone language from Daniel 2 and he applies it to himself. Everybody around him knew this vision of the statue and the stone that was coming. And Jesus, in this, into this group of people, Jesus says, I am that stone. I am that rock. Who says that about themselves? What an audacious claim. Jesus says that he is the foundation of this kingdom. He is the one the kingdom of God is being built on. So I want to, I want to take a second and I want to explore this just for a moment. And um, this next bit is going, to be a, is going to be a bit complicated. And so if you wanted a good time just to check out, now would be a great time. I'll tell you when to go check in. But um, hang, hang with me here for a second. Because there's, uh, there's this question that I think needs to be asked. In what, sense, in what sense has Jesus already fulfilled this vision? And in what sense has, is this vision not yet fulfilled? So, in one sense, Jesus says, you know, he says, I am the stone, I am the rock, I am the rock from Daniel 2. So there's this strong sense that, that um, he, he has arrived. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has broken into the world and is advancing. And yet, we know Jesus' kingdom has not full, filled the whole earth and pushed out all the, the king, human kingdoms of injustice, that there's this, still this not yet sense to it. In fact, um, in fact, even the New Testament talks about this already and not yet sense. So f- track with me here. Daniel 2, which we've been talking about today, it's about these four, this statue, these four kingdoms. And throughout the book of Daniel, this vision of the future is unpacked in other ways. So when we come to Daniel 7, we get another vision of four kingdoms. This time, it's represented, instead of a statue, as four beasts. In Daniel 2, the four kingdoms of the statue was uh, the kingdom of God as a rock pushed those four kingdoms out. 
In Daniel 7, one like a son of man comes on the clouds of heaven and judges the four beastly kingdoms. It's the same thing told over again, this time with a different metaphorical picture. Well, in the New Testament, Daniel 7 gets picked up and Jesus says that he is the son of man who will come and judge. But that is yet to come. In Revelation, it picks up this language of these beastly empires. And it says one day the kingdom of God will push these beastly empires out. But that is yet to come. And so even in the New Testament, there's a sense that, that Jesus is the rock that has already come into the world. And yet, his kingdom has not filled the earth in full. That is yet to come. There's this already not yet tension. And Jesus himself talks about this. Did you notice the language in Daniel 2? Um, there's the, these terminology, these terms that kept popping up. It kept talking about the mysteries, right? When I was reading the mysteries, and it kept talking about the kingdom of God. Do you know anybody who talks about the mysteries of the kingdom of God? Jesus told parables, picture stories about the mystery of the kingdom. In Matthew 13, he tells a whole string of them. He tells all these parables, and the point of the parables is to illustrate the already not yetness of the kingdom of God. And so he tells stories, word pictures. He says, the kingdom is like a, a sower who casts a seed, and some of the seed flourishes, and some of it falls, falls on hard soil. He says, the kingdom of God is like yeast making its way, subversively advancing through dough. He says, the kingdom of God starts small like the mustard seed, but grows into the biggest tree in the field. And so Je Jesus tells these parables of the mystery of the kingdom about the way that it's already broke into the world and subversively advancing, but not yet come in full. And at the center of it, Jesus says the center, the stone, the rock is himself. We have a concrete hope in a who. The rock has a name and a face. So what does it say to us? What does it say to us 2,500 years of the vision? We have a reason to believe, to have a concrete hope that history is going somewhere. That Jesus, he says he is that rock that has come into history. He speaks truth to power. He confronts those that use religion to manipulate others. Jesus is that rock. He comes in, finds and extends mercy to those on the margins. Jesus comes in and, and his kingdom breaks into the world, not, not with, an, not with a, a, a bang or a blast. His kingdom breaks into the world with his sacrificial act of love on the cross. And Jesus, this rock, what reason do we have to put our hope in him? We have the fact of the resurrection, that in him is a life that is stronger than death itself. The rock has a name and a face. His name is Jesus. So my question for us, as we live our day-to-day -day lives in exilic situations, maybe it's surrounded by people with very different views about history and where it's going than we do, my question for us is who or what are you putting your confidence in? Not just vague hope, but concrete confidence that you base your actions out of. Who is your hope in? I believe on this side of the story of Jesus, we are invited 
to place our hope in a who. I believe that Jesus, he unpacks this vision of Daniel 2 for us. And he says, yes, history is going somewhere. Yes, I am that rock. The kingdom of God has broken in. Yes, it is subversively advancing even now, pushing back human kingdoms of darkness and injustice. And yes, it will arrive in full. One day I will come back on the clouds of heaven and nothing, nothing, nothing can stop the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we are grateful. You are a God that knows the needs of people and you, you meet us in those needs. That you knew that Nebuchadnezzar needed the hard but good news that he was not the center, that your kingdom was the only rock. You knew the exiles needed the good news that history is headed somewhere. And you know that ultimately what we need is not just an abstract vision, but we need the person of Jesus, the Messiah, that we can place our hope in. So, uh, Lord God, would you show us individually in the, 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 this day-to-day stuff of our lives, would you show us what it means to put our concrete confidence in your rock, Jesus, in your name, amen. Will you stand with us and let's sing. Let's remember the faithfulness of God in the past and let that give us hope for the future. Great is thy faithfulness.